MusicPreneur.com. Great moments are born from great opportunity. A society either rises or falls to the level of its art. If you're good at something, never do it for free. You love music. You've devoted your life to music. Why sell yourself short by sharing your life's passion working for, quote, the man? You musicians, you're too, too musical. <laughs> Netflix is not your friend, people. Get off the couch, take a shower, comb your hair, and get out there. You're not doing it for the money. You're doing it for what the money says. And it says what it says to any player that makes big money they're worth it. We could have allowed it to steal our joy, but instead it steeled our inner fortitude. You spend time with your family? Because a man who doesn't spend time with his family can never be a real man. The world will point out every reason why I should just quit, but I won't quit for one reason, because I say so. To assist in your journey of making money making music, the musicpreneur.com podcast starts now. Here's your host, James Newcomb. Well, folks, I really don't know how to begin this episode other than saying that the person on the other end of this Skype call is pissed. She's a symphony musician in Kansas City, Kansas, and she does that all-too-familiar scene of going from town to town, going all over Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, probably Nebraska, you know, just getting going where the gigs are, and that's that's basically 50% of her career of how she earns her bones, justifies her existence on this earth, but she is also an author. It is just released this past summer. It is titled, Allie Went Rogue, How Being an Outlier Helped Me Think Clearly and Live Fully. Well, I have to set the stage here, and we're going to get Allison's um, take on this story. But from what I understand, there was a symphony orchestra in the Midwest that, well, to their credit, they said, we, ha- we have to get back going. We have to get on the roll, get, get on the, the performing bandwagon again. We have to move on from COVID-19. It's been, it's decimated our business and we just have to do it. So let's give credit where credit is due and just say that at, bravo, for, for having putting something together. But Allison walked into the scene, and it was she just decided it's unacceptable. And we're going to hear exactly what happened with this, this uh, performance and this rehearsal and the performance in just a moment. But it, it's a story of someone who just, just said, this is not acceptable. I cannot live with this. And she just said, I am not going to perform anymore. Uh, until this is changed. So I'm just, that is my take on, from what I understand of the story that she shared with me and via email. And now we have her on the call and we're going to hear all about it. So welcome to the show, Allison Ross. Hello. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to talk about this. Yes. And I could tell, I mean, we talked, we spoke briefly on uh, this past weekend and I could just tell that you were just it's like I, I need I need to get this woman on the call right now because she's like on fire. <laughs> and if I wait I, if I wait three days, she's gonna lose this, and I gotta get this. But obviously, she, you you haven't lost the fire, so thank goodness. But t- yeah, take no. us take us to this. I guess it was in Oklahoma somewhere. But take us to the scene. Set the scene. T- 
describe what happened and why it was just so objectionable for you? Uh, so I walked into rehearsal, which was held at a high school sports complex because for one reason or another, the performing arts hall is off limits, which is the case a lot of places right now. So that's to be expected. Um, mm -hmm. Our own symphony here in Kansas City, which I will mention, that is not the gig that this was. Um, right. The Kansas City Symphony is currently not playing and they have not been playing since March and will not play again until at least January. So they are completely on hiatus. So mm -hmm. I want to echo what you said, which is to the credit of this other orchestra, which I would prefer not to name, they are playing and that's great. And they found a way to do it. And everyone was so excited. And I just went, oh, my gosh, I get to play a gig again. This is going to be so fun. It wasn't fun at all. So I walked into the rehearsal. Um, the first thing they did is they said, OK, well, you have to go get your serology test. And I went, huh. OK, that sounds a little. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What's serology? Um, I didn't know either. Um, and I, I should have looked it up because what it is is a finger prick where they draw blood. If that sounds overkill to you, please tell me it does because it just sounds like a lot to me. It's it's hard to say what qualifies as overkill in the in the in 2020, especially in the United States. I mean, nothing is overkill anymore. Yes, and I, I we're we're about to see more of that in in the rest of my story, but the the other thing I will add is that I believe that they only did this for the musicians traveling from out of town. So if that lends any credibility to what they were doing, they just wanted to cover all their bases and be extremely safe. So, okay, fine. I guess it was maybe the orchestra um, office or something. And we go up and there's a couple of nurses and we turn in some paperwork and they say, okay, so now time for your test. And I look and she's got, you know, it looks like a, looks like what you use to, to track your, your insulin levels for diabetes or something. And I went, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I thought this was going to be a nasal swab or something or like a form to fill out. No, they were pricking your finger and drawing blood. And I went, okay, so as a violinist, this is a little upsetting because I'm not thrilled about a needle in my finger, you know, two hours before our first rehearsal. But okay, if this is what I have to do, fine. So I went through the process. A couple hours later, I go to rehearsal and they say, all right, here's your issued N95 mask that you must wear at all times from start to finish. Uh, wind players are allowed to remove their mask when the instrument is actually to their lips, which is great because there's no other way to play a wind instrument. So, and then everyone's wearing a mask at all times, and then we're spaced six feet apart. Now, for string players, the notion of of stand partners is completely eradicated. If you're sitting apart, six feet apart from somebody, okay. So I just went, ah, already I'm just like this is going to be terrible. But fine, I'm already here. You know, I drove several hours to get to this gig. Whatever, I'm just going to. What am I going to do? Walk out, go home? You know, no, I'm going to play it. Okay. So I sit down in my chair and the first thing that we rehearse is a Mozart overture. For a string player, again, um, and, and as a second violinist, which is where I was sitting in the section, to play running eighth notes in a Mozart overture at a fairly fast tempo mm -hmm. is hard already. Right. And that's if you're in a regular section with a stand partner whose bow you can kind of check out of the corner of your eye and you can look at the person in front of you. And there was none of that. I mean, you, you felt completely isolated. So, you know, at this point, it's getting to be more than a mild inconvenience. This is like, mm -hmm. okay, this is actually kind of interfering with, with how we can play this music. I mean, this is not easy rep. Mm -hmm. So that happened. And then, um, gosh, what else? There was, I, I think I said before, we were in a sports complex. And so the conductor is fighting to be heard over the sound of a football announcer on the next wall over. So we're fighting with the sports volume and everything else. And we, we somehow get the, through the rehearsal and that's fine. And they say, okay, so thank you all for being here. Tomorrow we're going to be in the baseball stadium. <laughs> the baseball stadium? Yeah, yeah, you heard that right. Yeah. 
Wait, so, to, to do a, a classical concert, a baseball stadium? Correct. Okay. So because the performing arts hall was off limits and or the orchestra had decided that they could not perform. I don't know whose decision that was, and I don't want to point any fingers. And by the way, for what it's worth, the players and the, the, the in-between, the go-betweens from the orchestra to the management were so professional and they were so good. And they were like, you guys, I know this sucks, but this is what we have to do. So that's why I feel as though maybe they were following directives from higher up, but I'm not sure. I was never never able to really confirm that. So, you know, for what it's worth, the personnel manager and the, the orchestra manager and all of those people, I mean, they, they are great and I don't want to go public and bash them because they're doing the best they can. Got it. So that said, so we're in this baseball stadium because for one reason or another, we can't play in the, in the arts hall. So we go to the baseball stadium. Well, this is Oklahoma. It's like 20 mile an hour winds because this is the middle of October. Yes. <laughs> so it's windy. Yeah. And then on the forecast, there's rain. Okay. And so already we're kind of like, is this concert going to even be able to happen? So we get through the rehearsal, the first rehearsal. And then the second rehearsal was called after 10 minutes because, I mean, you know, for a professional symphony to be like, okay, we can't have this rehearsal. Everybody go home. That's kind of a big deal. Yes. Because we're contracted to play a certain number of rehearsals and all this. But what happened was we were in the stadium on this big erected, you know, one of those like several tens of thousands of dollars of like stage and equipment yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and got it. that whole thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're playing on this stage and the wind was so strong that it's literally whipping music off the stands. I mean, people were having to jump off the stage and go run and get there, you know, so, okay. So there's clothespins. Okay, fine. So control your music better. Well, then it started taking the stands over with it. So, I mean, these heavy metal stands are just falling all over the place and, and, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was a disaster. And that doesn't even get to how everybody was sounding and how we could hear each other, which was terrible. So 10 minutes into the rehearsal, the, uh, I guess he was the orchestra manager. He, he, he raises his arms and waves his arms and he goes, okay, you know what? This isn't working. Everybody go home. Right. And there was just kind of like silence. And we, we looked around like, did he really just say that? This is kind of a big deal to cancel. Okay. I guess we'll go home. So we did. (laughs) So we had one more rehearsal before the concert. That's what we had to deal with. And so the the wind had died down a little bit and we were able to get through that rehearsal. It was not pleasant, but we got through it. And then the day of the concert, it rained. So we're outside and we're going, are people even going to show up to this thing? And if they do, are we going to be able to play it? Well, the short answer is we didn't play it. The concert was also called 10 minutes in due to the weather. So all of this work, all of this work going through protocol and and following directives and doing all of these things to try to make this concert happen the concert didn't even happen Story. well okay okay so uh, people listening to this because i know the people that listen to this they may be musicians but they may not be classical musicians so you made it sound like this is not just an inconvenience to be six feet apart what are some of the logistical difficulties what i mean what what made this just like not practical to do your job as a violinist, I, I revert to what I said before, which was without a stand partner, you could, well, okay. So the one thing I mentioned is that we're separated. So it's hard to kind of match running eighth notes and that sort of thing. Right. So in a Mozart overture, it's hard enough to get that together among sections, but we didn't even have a section. I mean, it's almost like every man for himself. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're essentially feeling alone trying to play this music and it's hard to match up with the person quote unquote next to you, let alone the person across the orchestra. Okay. So there was that issue, just continuity, you know, and cohesiveness of the, of the ensemble of the sound. There was also 
the issue of hearing everybody. I mean, if you've got a hundred mute, that that was the other interesting thing mm. to me is they didn't cut down on the numbers playing the concert. They said, no, we're going to have everybody. We're going to have full sections. Okay. So we're talking about close to a hundred people. And because of the spacing limitations, it was the space of what would have been 150 or 200 people. So, I mean, already the behemoth that is a symphony orchestra trying to get together and play one piece at the same time in the same tempo in the correct rhythms is just complicated by the fact that the violins can't hear the basses, the basses can't hear the the oboist, and the oboist can't hear the 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 whoever's on the other end of the oboist, you know? So, wow. um, so it was sound issues, it was cohesiveness in the in the fast sections. Um and then uh, going back to the stand partners thing, because that just really irked me. Part of the thing with with string musicians, with um, we'll say violinists having a stand partner, is that when your section has a page turn, the inside player can turn the page. What is the inside player? Um, inside player means the person who's farther away from the audience. So if you're looking, there's there's always two players on a stand. Yes, yes. So you right. So like the outside player is the one who's closer to the audience, and the inside player is the one farther from the audience, and that's their job to turn the page. So if you're playing, you're playing a line, playing a line, playing a line, there's a line wrap and it goes to the next page, the inside player quietly leans forward and quickly turns the page. Well, we don't have stand partners to turn pages for us, and so there was one laughable moment, um, again, in the overture, because that's all we ended up playing. There was a moment where the second violin section just completely dropped out and missed a phrase because there was nobody to turn the page. So <laughs> okay. we all had to do it at once. And there was just this gaping hole in the music, you know? So, so it was one of those moments where I'm like, okay, this is beyond an inconvenience. This is the music is actually not working. See when I've played with orchestras, I play trumpet and I always have my own stand and I never have to worry about this. So this is actually kind of educational for me to, right, yeah. to, to, to just hear the practical in normal conditions to hear about what it's like with the string players. Musicpreneur.com You're not just saying that this is an inconvenience and let's try again next time or let's, let's, I got the sense that you're like, I'm not doing this. Like, is it, yeah. what, what is, what is behind this? Is it like, I can't respect myself as a professional to do this or uh, the people doing this, they're like overreacting to COVID and, and I'm just going to take a stand for, I'm just kind of curious as to what is uh, behind this, I guess, this personal conviction that you're taking. It's a little bit of everything you just said. The impetus for it was just realizing, <laughs> well, I think you said it best in your introduction. You said, and she is pissed. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just realized that, you know what? I've got work, you know, I diversify myself. I work in many different areas. I'd rather pick up a gig doing something else than than put up with this. I was just kind of frustrated beyond the point where I was interested in trying it again is really what it was. And it, a little of it, well, okay, a lot of it is the frustration with music and symphonies and the arts in general just severely overreacting to this, right? I mean, they're, they're concerned both with public health and also with liability. So there's two sides to this and they combine to just make this, this mess out of concerts. That's if the concerts even happen. I mean, like I said, Kansas City Symphony isn't playing. The one line I kept going back to, and this is what I modeled my, my op-ed after is when, um, the, the musicians kept saying to me, well, you know, they're trying to look on the bright side and they say, well, it's better than not playing. And finally, I lost it. And I just turned to somebody and I said, it's not better than not playing. It's not. To me, this is not worth it. We are going, th we are jumping through 
all of these hoops to get to, you know, a, a I don't want to lose use bad language, but a concert that nobody played wholeheartedly, it, was that really worth it? You know, I just drove five hours to play this gig and got through a six-minute Mozart overture. That is not worth my time. Uh, what, what, why do you think that, like, I mean, do you think that uh, the brain trust of this this one particular symphony, do you think that they're going to get together and say, wow, we had some real issues and we need to make we need to make some improvements? I mean, what what is what what was your sense from like the people who were doing this? Because you made it sound like they were just like, oh, oh well. I mean, it's kind of an inconvenience, but at least we've got a gig. What was the overall attitude? Was there other people that you could sense were just kind of fed up with the whole thing, like you were? I will say this: the overall attitude was, well, at least we have a gig. That is the overall attitude, and that is what I'm trying to fight so hard because. I think there's many more musicians out there. I know there's many more musicians out there because since I've become vocal, they have come out of the woodwork like you would not believe, classical or non. There's hundreds of musicians out there who are going, yeah, you know what? You're right. We need to take a stand for this. As I said, I don't want to point any fingers. I don't know who's making these decisions. I would I would hope that after that debacle that they're getting together and they're going, gosh, you know, we need to really rethink this next time. But I don't know. I mean, I'm just subbing with this orchestra. I don't have any kind of insight into how they operate. I don't know who it is that makes the the decisions. So I would hope so, but I don't know. I will say that uh, I was sitting kind of far back in the second violins and the guy kind of right behind me is this flute player who was pretty vocal about the fact that he's got anxiety issues and he mm. didn't appreciate being on the stage in the middle of the winds, the, the <laughs> not the woodwinds, but the, you know, the 20 mile an hour Oklahoma winds. Um, and, the, and, and then the rigging that they had set up, it was like metal clanking against metal. And it was just, it was horrible. I mean, it was yeah. pretty dystopian. And so, so this guy finally, after a few minutes of rehearsing, he, I, I heard him kind of like audibly whimpering and I turned around and I was like, are you okay? And he goes, no, no, I'm not. And he's like jittering, you know, he goes, I, I, I'm not, I just, I have high levels of anxiety and I can't do this. I can't do this. And I said, well, I, I wanted to give him some encouragement and I, cause I wasn't personally nervous, but I knew that if I were a person with more anxiety, I would probably feel the same way, you know? And I, I was just, I was just mad. I was just frustrated, but this guy was really having a rough time. And so I turned to him and I said, Hey, you know, they said on day one, if you're uncomfortable with any of this, you can go. I mean, they did give us that out, but nobody's going to take him up on it, of course. But he did. He actually did the day of the concert. There was a 15 minute, as I said, it was, it was canceled after the Mozart overture anyway, but there was about a 15 minute hold while we tried to figure out what we were going to do. Okay. The edge of the stage is wet. I mean, more than wet. I mean, it's like puddles at the size of the stage is still raining, you know? So trying to figure out what was happening and he finally had enough and he just went, okay, I'm out. Mm. And he packed up and he left. So, so let's be clear that I'm certainly not the only one thinking this. I may be one of the few actually taking a stand against it, but I'm not the only one. There are other people out there who are like, I will not put up with this. And I'm really glad that I'm not alone in that. What I'm thinking is that like the management is just going to say they're if they're not musicians themselves, then they know how to put themselves in the minds of musicians. And they're thinking, man, if I was a musician out there, they can, they can see these guys are miserable and they're just, they're soldiering on in spite of this. And uh, yeah. it, it just seems to me like they would see that they would appreciate it and say, man, we got to do better. We, we, we owe these professional musicians better than this. I, you know, they did and they mm -hmm. do. 
again, to their credit, because I, 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 the last thing I want to do is bash anybody. This is about the terrible lockdown protocol and not the people themselves, right? I mean, everybody here is very professional. I think you're right. I mean, I would hope that they would go, this is unsustainable. And I just don't feel that anyone has made that. I mean, they're, they're looking at, you know, concerts being, I think someone told me there was going to be another concert in November. And they said, well, yeah, I don't know how that's going to go. And, and I said, well, is it outdoors? And they said, oh, I'm not really sure. So, you know, they're trying. They're really, really trying. And and again, to their credit, the management and the orchestra, the, the personnel manager and all of the people kind of in charge of making these decisions over and over and over. They told us, you guys were so appreciative. Thank you for doing this, especially those of you who are subbing with us. We really appreciate you. So there's no cruelty and there's no, you know, there's nothing, there's no abuse going on. It's nothing like that. Yeah. And they did give us the out to say, if you're uncomfortable, you can leave and we will understand you will not be penalized and you will still get paid. So they're doing everything in their power. The one thing that, uh, the other thing that came up, and again, this was with the flute player. He said, you know, it's too bad the weather didn't cooperate for us. And I, <laughs> and I turned around and I looked him dead in the face and I said, this is, this was kind of like the beginning of our interaction. And then the point where he actually left during the concert or before the concert, mm. but he said, gosh, I wish the weather had cooperated better. And I turned around and I looked at him and I said, with all due respect, let's be clear. This is not a weather issue. This is due to protocol. Mm. This is due to the protocol and the policies that have been put in place the management feels we need to undergo and the musicians feel that we need to play. That's the part that I'm reacting against. Right. I have no hard feelings towards this particular orchestra. I think it's wonderful that they want to plunge forward, but I will not be a part of it. You know, I'll, I'll bet that, that maybe there's somebody in the Kansas City Symphony right now listening to this and they're like listening to the story and like, man, I'm glad we're not playing because I really don't want to go through with that. <laughs> well, I, I have personal friends who have already said that to me. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. So they don't have to listen to this. What What was this? Was this like a, uh, was it just a concert for the symphony or was it part of a festival or what was the occasion? No, no, no. This was a standard season performance. This is a regular concert. The program was supposed to be a Mozart overture and a Brahms symphony and then a piece with solo violin the, the concert master of the symphony was going to play a, a solo violin concerto with us, not a concerto, but a, a longer piece, which that was the biggest disappointment to me because I have kind of like professional ties to this violinist. And I would, I was really, really looking forward to seeing her perform. And uh, that never happened. The Brahms symphony never happened. So, I mean, not only the performance itself was essentially ruined, but we spent all of this time rehearsing only for them to say, ah, you know what, go home. This isn't working. So it's like, why couldn't you have figured this out on Thursday? I mean, that's that's where, to me, a little bit of the blame lies, is why couldn't you have seen this coming? I mean, we have weather forecasts. You knew that this was going to be a disaster, and you decided to go forward anyway. So I don't know if there's maybe, like, orchestra patient, pa patrons they needed to try to satisfy, or or if I hope they weren't just doing it for us, because we would much rather have just been home in a blanket and, like, holding a mug of tea or something. It's tough because you want to play. I mean, that's that's why you go to college and get your and study and put in those ten thousand hours, and then you're dormant for six, seven months, and you're just like, I want to play. And I'm, I, 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 it just seems to me like maybe these these musicians are like, I, I will go through anything to to have a gig. I'll do anything to have a gig. But then maybe maybe they just like, maybe not. Maybe this isn't worth it. Yeah. Well, I agree. There's, there's lots of musicians out there who are 
feeling pretty desperate. And they're just like, you know, either it's one of two things, either they've spent the last seven months practicing like mad and, and they're, they're just chomping at the bit, ready to go and ready to play something. Or they did more of what I did, which is, this is the longest summer break of all time. I think I'm going to rest my fingers a little bit. I mean, I was rusty. I was rusty going back to this gig. I had one the weekend prior, and then I had one in June and that's really all I played. I mean, aside from teaching private lessons and some little other things that I do. Um, so I was really excited. I mean, I was really thrilled to be like the guy from the symphony called me and I went, heck yes, I'm going to play a symphony gig. And now looking back, it's like, oh man, what was I thinking? Musicpreneur.com. The other thing that drives me crazy a little bit is when people go, well, you should do something virtual. You should do a virtual concert. As much as I'm taking a stand against doing these gigs that are just a mess with the with the, the policies just weighing so heavily on everybody, I'm also kind of speaking up against the normalization of virtual performances because they are not the same. Audiences know this and performers know this. And if you're particularly tech challenged like me, like you and I have talked about this, right? You, you know a whole lot about how to operate things with buttons. I don't. I'm really bad at that stuff. So when somebody goes, oh, you should just live stream. I'm like, what's a live, you know, I don't know how to, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I know what a live stream is, but that is so not my wheelhouse. And it's really frustrating when people just think, oh, you can just flip a switch and just go virtual. For somebody like me, that's not possible. Yes, I could learn. I could apply myself, but I'm not going to put my time and my energy into learning this when that's not what I was trained for. I was trained to play in concert halls with a live resonant reverberating tone that stretches to the farthest balcony. You're not going to get that out of a Chromebook speaker for crying out loud, you know? And so it, so for the first little bit of lockdown, it was very cool to see my, my colleagues and my friends kind of, uh, turn on a dime and go, Oh, well let's, let's have some porch music or let's do a a virtual thing or, or let's do a Facebook live or, whatever. And that, you know, that was kind of cool. It's like, wow, look at how innovative everybody's being, but seven months, come on. And this, and and we're not even to the end of it, James. I mean, this is like, we have no end goal in sight. So when can we get back into the hall? I think that's the frustrating thing is there's no, there's just so much uncertainty. There's no specific time frame. If it, if we knew that it was going to be a 12 month hiatus and then we can get back to life as normal, or relatively close to normal as we knew it in March, we could live with that because we we know that five months from now, I can get back on the concert circuit, for example. Well, that's that's how it sounded at the beginning. And then the yes. goalposts kept moving, right? I mean, it was 15 days to flatten the curve. Fine. Mm-hmm. I rolled my eyes, but I went with it. Sure. And then um, actually in my district, not my district, but in the state of Kansas, Kansas was the first state where our governor stepped up and said, uh, we're not having school for the rest of the year. We were the first state in the country. And I think that was like March 16 or 18 or something like that. And at the time, everybody went, whoa, that's a heck of a decision to make. And now it's like she actually had a lot of foresight knowing that that's the way it was going to be. I'm not saying it's good or bad what she did, but the fact that she called it that early is is kind of impressive in a way. <laughs> and so she said, okay, you know, school's canceled for the rest. Okay, well, all right, fine. So we didn't have school for a very long time. And then we went, well, it's okay. Cause we'll still have summer graduations or was, or, you know, we'll still have summer. I don't know, whatever musicians do in summer, right? Maybe some go to festivals and so, whatever the case, 
well, those things will still happen. And then they didn't. Right. And then the school year hit and there's still nothing going on. And we are now nearly in November. Mm-hmm. And we have ensembles who have either not been resurrected or are undergoing these completely zany policies that are just destroying the experience for musicians and for attendees alike. And I just can't get behind that. So that's that's the personal decision that I made is to step away from it. And, you know, if that's what you guys want to do, more power to you. I believe in voluntary efforts, and that's not something that I can vibe with. So um, I'm just going to step away until things get back to normal. Define normal. Well, they're trying they're trying to redefine it. And I mean, that's what I'm standing up against. Like, right. Right. Don't tell me a live stream is is how things are going to be from now on. I don't accept it. I just don't. I I personally, this is my opinion. And uh, I personally think that things will get back to normal eventually. And it may not be 2021. It may be like 2022 before things are relatively close to what they were before all this COVID issue uh, came on into the forefront. But I have to say, in defense of live streaming or virtual concerts, I think that a lot of people have realized that there is a lot of power with this. There is a lot of potential to reach, to like tap into markets that you, that they wouldn't have thought to do before they were forced into isolation with these lockdowns. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying lockdowns are bad or good. I'm not, that's not why I'm doing this podcast. I'm not, I'm not here to give a, an indictment one way or the other on the lockdowns. But it, things being what they are, the lesson is that you can lose your livelihood because a governor puts his pen on a piece of paper and says, all the concert halls are closed. All of the bars are closed. Take away this from this podcast is that everything that you know that you're comfortable with can go away tomorrow and you have nothing to say about it. Now, I, I've noticed that a lot of musicians are embracing the Zoom concerts or the uh, live streams, and they're actually doing a really good job with it. And I'll give you an example, Allison. I was, like I said, I was in Vietnam earlier this this. Um, I think it was in June. And a friend of mine who's been on this podcast before, his name is Joshua Messick. He's an outstanding hammer dulcimer player. And he was doing a live stream concert because that's all he could do. I mean, that's the, that was the only way that he could perform was doing it live on the internet. And my wife and I were watching or listening to him play the hammer dulcimer while we're having breakfast in Vietnam. And he's doing this thing in, um, <laughs> in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. And so I, I, I completely get what you're saying. The virtual does not replace the live performance. But a lot of people have realized there is a lot of power. There's a lot of potential that I just would not have thought to tap into because I was just so busy trying to find the next student or the next gig. It could very well be that five years from now, after we're done with all of this unpleasantness, we could be in a better place because people took the time to study or, 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 or investigate live streaming, starting the blog, maybe finally reading, uh, writing that book or starting a podcast that they just didn't have time for. I appreciate that perspective and I appreciate your optimism. It's It's been hard personally for me to feel that lately, but I know deep down, I know that that's true. And once we do come, on the, come out the other side of this, we're going to look back and we're going to go, hey, look what I managed to figure out during the pandemic. That's pretty, you know, that's pretty cool. And it, um, that's one thing that I always tell my students, both my 
um, private high school string kids. And also um, I teach a, an undergrad a music appreciation course where a lot of them are uh, music minors or something like that, you know. And But I always tell them it's like you have to diversify because like you say, James, your livelihood can be stripped away from you at a moment's notice and there's nothing you can do about it. And so diversify, diversify, diversify like crazy. You have to find different things you're able to do. You've got to find some, you know, people always talk about your side hustle. You don't really have to have a side hustle if you just have your thumb in enough pies that if one of them is taken away, you've still got the others. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, tell us what, what other pies do you have your fingers in? Aside from traveling to five hours to do gigs that are rained out <laughs> in baseball yeah, stadiums. Yeah. Tra- traveling five hours to play six-minute Mozart. <laughs> um, the other things that I do with my time, so essentially, um, I think in the beginning you said you know 50% of my income. I would say orchestra playing and gigs like that, freelance gigs, that's probably more like 25%. Oh, okay. And I like to keep it that way on purpose because – I like to keep myself open and like available for playing opportunities or teaching opportunities or whatever. So I teach for a state school um, out of Western Kansas. I teach a music appreciation course, which I love two sections of that. A lot of what I do is like writing and reading. And so I get to sit and read papers of musicians that these, you know, these undergrad students write, and then I get to critique them. And so it kind of plays into the the reading and writing of my nature as well as the music. And so that's a really cool job. And then I teach private lessons. Then my day job, if you want to call it that, is that I work for a public school as a choir accompanist. And so that's where my piano skills come into play. So not only should you diversify yourself as far as the job is concerned, but it also helps to play more than one instrument as well. True that. Maybe not for, I don't know, do trumpet players play something other than trumpet? I'm not sure. There's a few that like play the piano, but I think there's enough work for trumpet players that you can, if you, if you know your craft and you can play, I think, I think trumpet is so difficult to just keep your chops up just to play at a adequate level. I don't, I don't think you really have time to learn another instrument, honestly. That's, that's fair. I, I was thinking like the violin viola dichotomy. Like if you're a violinist, you, at some point you learn how to play the viola also, uh-huh. but I guess trumpet doesn't really have a, an equivalent. It's kind well, of I mean, the trumpets there's, there's like the cornet, but I mean, there's not like, oh, that's true. but there, but there's not like orchestras don't really call for cornet. You know, yeah. So it's just kind of a weird history. Musicpreneur.com. Okay, I have to ask before we sign off. I have to hear one violin joke. Because <laughs> I, ha- uh, I have a viola joke for you, and I'll tell it as soon as you tell your violin I'm joke. I'm sure I've never heard it before. <laughs> I think my favorite... Oh, man, there's so many. There's so You're putting me on the spot. Okay. Okay, um... <laughs> What's the difference between a violin and a fiddle? Uh, something about burning the firewood or something. <laughs> that's a, I feel like that's a variation on <laughs> on a viola joke. Okay. Uh, what is it? No, I mean, the, <laughs> that, that works. That also works. The answer to my joke is uh, the violin is more expensive. And then everybody kind of goes, oh. So it's kind of like one of those like anti-humor jokes like, oh. That's true. Well, what's the difference between a violin and a fiddle? Um, in the strings world, it's the music that you play on it. So I actually play, I actually perform my classical gigs on an 1826 Scottish fiddle. So it actually is a fiddle. And so everybody goes, well, what makes it a fiddle? I don't know. It was some guy in Scotland who, it has this really interesting history. It's like mm-hmm. this guy was in debtor's prison. Mm-hmm. And at the time in Scotland, 
you didn't just sit and rot in a cell. It was like, okay, what do you want to do with your time to be productive? And he mm-hmm. was, he said, bring me a block of wood and a chisel. And mm-hmm. then he made a bunch of violins. Wow. And they, they were amazing. Yeah. He's called like the Scottish Stradivari. So. Wow. And that's the one you play? It's pretty cool. All right. Okay. Okay. What's the difference between a bassoon and an oboe? You can hit a baseball farther with a bassoon. There you go. <laughs> uh, here, one more, one more. Um, it's about a it's about a trombone. Can I make trombone jokes on this podcast? <laughs> of course. Okay, okay, okay. What do you do to get the trombone player off your front porch? Pay him for the pizza. I can always tell the children of a trombone player at a playground because they're the ones that don't know how to use the slide and can't swing. Well, okay. Speaking of a speaking of a, a park, uh, what's All the right. difference between a trombonist and a park bench? Oh uh, man, I don't know. A park bench can support a family of four. I mean, that's just terrible, right? Worse than the pizza one, for sure. The pizza can feed a family of four or something. What, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. It? There's all kinds, of, all kinds of variations. Okay, okay. This is the grand finale of this, of this lame fireworks. You're really setting yourself up. <laughs> this lame fireworks show on this. On this, <laughs> this is the grand finale. All right. So there is a um, violist in the Dubuque, Iowa Symphony Orchestra. Very humble... They work hard, but they're not, they're not the greatest. And um, he's like in the last chair of the viola section there in Dubuque. And he comes across a magic lamp, and he rubs it. Out comes the genie, the genie, and the genie says, I'll give you three wishes. And the violist says, I wish that I was twice as good on the viola than I am right now. Oh, no. It's granted. All of a sudden, he is in the the viola section of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I mean, just like that, poof, he's, he's got the gig. And that's going along fine, but, you know, he, he, he's not, not feeling too content, and he takes out the magic lamp again, and he rubs it. The, the genie comes out and says, okay, master, I'll give you, it's time for your second wish. He says, I wish that I was three times as talented on the viola than I am right now. And poof, just like that, he's the principal violist in the Vienna Philharmonic, just top of the world. Promoted. Yeah, promoted. And so there he is, principal violist in the Vienna Philharmonic. And that's going, of course, it's great. He's touring the world. It's wonderful. But, you know, he's just that kind of person. He just, he's just not content with it after a while. And it's time to break out the magic lamp. And out comes the genie. Okay, it's time for your third and final wish. Master, and he says, Okay, I wish that I was 10 times as talented on the viola as I am right now. And poof, there he is in the last chair of the second violin section of the Dubuque, Iowa Symphony Orchestra. That is just devastating. I will absolutely make sure that none of my viola friends hear this podcast. Just terrible. Have you been to Dubuque, Iowa? Did you just pull that out of nowhere, or were you like this? Well, is I, I mean, I grew up in Minnesota, so I I okay. know some of the cities in in the Midwest, I guess. Okay, okay. I was just wondering if the Dubuque Symphony was a real thing, and you were going to get like hate mail. If a violist can actually can like send legitimate hate mail, then I will <laughs> be entertained. <laughs> you know, I feel like James, this could go on and on and on, and I really feel as though you need to devote an entire podcast episode to just telling music jokes. I think I should. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a lot of material right there. Allison Ross is my guest and um I, you if you pressed play on this episode thinking that it was going to be a 
a long bitch session on COVID-19 and lockdowns, well, I, I have to say that you probably weren't disappointed. <laughs> but I th- I hope that you took it in the spirit of not, we don't want to be critical of, of anyone uh, unfairly. But at the same time, we do want to kind of put a spotlight on this issue of, hey, you know, we, we're aware that there's COVID-19. We, we know that it's, it's a thing. And we know that, um, unfortunately, people are, are getting sick from it and some of them are dying from it. But life has to go on. And it's the spirit of we have to find a way to, to do what we are put on this earth to do and in a way that, that feeds our souls and not in a way that satisfies some bureaucrat sitting at City Hall or in the governor's office, that, that's, that's why we do it. We don't, we don't do what we do. We didn't uh, devote the better part of our life, of our adult life, so that we could appease some bureaucrats somewhere. We, we do this so that we can feed people's souls. And so it, it, we, don't, we don't do this podcast because we want to be critical of anyone. But sometimes you have to be critical of people because pe- pe- people make decisions, people make policies, and it affects people. It affects people like you and me in very real ways. So I hope that people understand the spirit in which we say these things. We want to do what we do, and we want to do it in a way that we're meant to do it. Can I get an amen? That was a beautiful wrap-up. I just couldn't have said it better myself. Allison, I think that we could have a definitely have a round two and we could probably dive into more encouraging, more um, uplifting topics than COVID-19. So why don't we, after we get on the call, get off this call, we should pencil in another date so we can talk more shop. Yeah, that'd be great because I, I do want your listeners to to know that I'm actually a really pleasant person in real life. <laughs> right. In case you couldn't tell from our conversation already. <laughs> I, I actually do have a good sense of humor, and I don't just go around complaining about about Symphony Protocol. But you know, in this particular case, that's kind of why I'm here. So that's what we had to cover. For more podcasts and resources on making money making music, and to download the free Musicpreneur.com mobile app, head on over to Musicpreneur.com today. Thanks for listening.